From the beginning, we started Everyday Driver to help people find cars they will love. Commuting is a chore, but driving should be fun. If you like to drive, then there are cars where your budget, needs, and fun all intersect, and we want to help you find them. I'm Paul. I'm Todd, and this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. We're excited to be kind of getting back to the regular car debates. We've had some craziness, yeah. fun with mid-engines and mountains, which uh, if you haven't yet, go check out on Vimeo, the mid-engines and mountains. You can buy it on Blu-ray. I still have a stack waiting for you, waiting to ship out. It could get there. <laughs> well, we're recording this before Christmas, but by the time you're listening to it, it will be uh, very near. So. It'll- by the time by the time you listen to this, it will be there. Merry Christmas time. You're not, but I will say this though: to, to jump off your point, if you have Christmas money, you hey, got money for Christmas. Idea. Now, hey, Midage of the Mountains or the 911 film, you can do the Vimeo rental. You can do the Blu-ray. If you have Christmas money, I'm telling you, I think that's it's a, a good great idea. Just putting that out there. Hey, yeah, I yeah, like yeah. that. All right, well, we'll keep going with the car debates. We've got uh, Wood in Alabama, and he is 19 writing into us that he's currently driving a 2000 year 2000 Mercedes E-Class. It's an E320 and I mm-hmm. know this mm-hmm. car. This thing is a tank rolling down the road. Yep, definitely. He comes definitely. from a family of German cars. Dad has a 991 Porsche 911 that is music to my ears and looks it's practically, like <laughs> it practically should be your family by the way, Paul. Uh, I yeah, love seriously. it. Your mom, <laughs> would your mom has a Mercedes and an Audi. The only thing you're missing in your family is a BMW because you have just about everything else. So we'll we'll get to that Seriously. in just a little bit. Love German cars. He's curious about a new car to replace that E-Class. I'll be curious to hear your thoughts on that, Mr. German car. I, but anyway, I yes. have uh, some suggestions I think you're going to like. Shocking. Uh, Shocking. <laughs> and then we've got Joey in New Mexico. He is a commuter. He's got actually fairly long commute daily, mm-hmm. 52 miles, and has, lo and behold, another German car. It's a Jetta, four-cylinder turbo from 2007 and uh, looking mm-hmm. to put some money into the house and then trying to think what's next. And so I've got some suggestions there and yep. Uh, yep. should be kind of fun. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to both of those. We want to talk about something random that relates to our production first that actually came up pretty organically, came up actually since mid of Mountains got released. We had a very fascinating question. And uh, it actually relates to mm. what we do and what Matt Farah does. And I, I think there's an interesting thing going on. The question that came to us was, are you guys driving these cars hard? Which Paul and I kind of looked at each other and went, "Are you kidding?" Yeah, because of course we are. You know, because we're, we're talking about when we're talking about the back stepping out or understeering at the limit and that kind of thing. We're not going to say that unless we felt it. Now, I will acknowledge we're trying to not do drifty madness on camera. We don't want to do that on public roads. So you may yeah, not be seeing some of the hooning. Yeah. yeah, you may not be seeing some of the hooning you're used to. And 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 the, and the interesting factor here is this. We are of the realization, and you may know this already, but we are of the realization that a drive-by, which is what we love doing, we like to put the car in a nice setting and watch it drive past the camera so you get a sense of the setting and the car, and you can look at the car and not us and all of these things. The problem is that drive-bys don't look fast, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. And and Matt Farah, a good friend of ours, is now doing those one takes that are all POV. It's all a POV camera. Well, the thing is that super wide, almost fisheye, GoPro lens, wide-angle lenses show more speed anyway, but then the GoPro sure. with just the whole way it makes up and running POV, 
looks extremely fast. In fact, in fact, it looks a little bit faster than is actually real. Yeah, so I, here we I've are at opposite ends of the spectrum. In his yeah, work. yeah, here we are at opposite ends of the spectrum. And so a couple of people have asked, uh, and, and literally it's been like two people have asked the question, and I thought I would have never thought of that question. And their question was, "How hard are you guys driving these cars?" Well, the answer is. Uh, Hard, fast, um, and hard. Yeah, I, I, you know we're not, but we're going as fast as we can within the limits of what we think the the tires can do, the weather conditions, the road, and the fact that we're driving on public roads. And you know, you and I have talked mm-hmm. a lot about this. Unless we're on a track where we're really pushing it, first of all, we've got a primary obligation to return the car shiny side up to the very friendly people Absolutely. who have loaned it to us. Yep. Whether the press yep. car or whether it's a private owner. We have a responsibility. It's a privilege to be able to drive as many cars as we do. No question. And no so question. we're not going to drive it t- to where we're going to cook it off the road. I mean, that brings into question all kinds of madness, and we just don't need to be doing that. We're driving responsibly, but we are driving very, very fast. It's Well, I mean, we've had multiple owners. You're, yeah. you're absolutely right. We have multiple owners that have mentioned to us some variation of the fact that they don't ever drive the car the way we do when they're on set with us. We've had mm-hmm. multiple owners say that to yeah. us. And, and some of these guys, some of these guys have driven these cars hard and talked about, I've done track days and I've done autocross, and yet they'll ride with us or they'll see us drive, and they're like, you guys are pushing. And yeah. we, we, we want to, be, and here's the reason that we want to, without ever going too far, but we've realized, and this is, this is kind of crazy, but it's true, it takes almost three times the speed limit to, to actually make a car look fast on camera. Yeah. And you kind of have to ask yourself, what's fast? I mean, I remember there's one review. I think it's the I think it's the Chevy SS. There's actually a section on screen that is a POV camera. I'm going around a 15-mile-an-hour. I think it was me. Somebody's going around a 15-mile-an-hour corner. It's labeled 15 miles an hour, but the heads-up display is going at, like, 45 or 50. <laughs> See, now, the here's the there. thing. That's awesome. Here's the thing. 45 is not fast in the grand scheme. I'm driving 45. That's nothing. 45 in a 15-mile-an-hour corner is now very fast. In a hairpin, it is. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, so what's, so what's the where, – where's the, the line there? What's the way to judge that? So it's an interesting question. I want to say one random thing here, and that is – I don't know if you ever noticed, and you, maybe you've thought about this, Paul. If you watch F1 or you watch Le Mans, here's cars going 200 miles an hour. Yeah. Those drive-bys, those cars don't look like they're going 200 miles an hour. Very if you true. stood there and watched them go by, they look like 200. But when you watch them on TV, I mean, clearly, they're not going highway speeds. That's obvious. But they just look like 200 to you? This is mm. the nature of cameras getting drive-bys. Mm. And that's, you know, it, it's a trade-off. Somebody asked me this week, they were like, well, should you just be doing POVs? And I was like, well, no. I, I don't want to just show you the POV of the road. I want to show you the car and the setting. That's part of the reason we do these locations. That's part of, the, of us trying to, to include you in the experience is the surroundings. Now, maybe we should do more POVs. You guys can tell us that if you want. But I don't want to do an all POV because I want to show you the setting. I want yeah, to show you the car. I, I don't either. I like how we show the car and you can see the car settling over the road surface. And we pick shots based on the camera looking through a series of corners so you can see the weight transfer mm, yeah, yeah. and the shift and the attitude of the car as it's going at speed. So, yeah, sure. we're driving fast for these public roads. We're, you know, we're not going to say how fast we're going, but it is very fast and yeah, you know we're certainly. pushing these cars and trying to make the car look and dance and do its thing mm-hmm. to you know not only get the experience and extract what we're going to say about it and you know understand true, true. the car and the character of the car but we've got to show that car you know doing its thing and and shifting around and taking the inside yeah. line and and showing what it's doing and i noticed in uh, you might have noticed this too 
in the orange Viper that Matt had recently. You got to drive it at mm-hmm. track day, which I didn't get around to doing. Matt had that mm-hmm. car yeah, and yeah. did the one-take POV with that. And I noticed, I watched that, he is cooking up that road and yeah, then back absolutely. down. He is moving. No, Matt's an excellent driver. But he's an excellent he's a driver. superb driver. And he the the camera is obviously a POV. And I'm noticing, wow, he is making the mechanical grip of that car work for him. You know, dry road, sunny day, and that car mm-hmm. is going fast. And you can tell. And I really admired that. And I, I did notice that. But we've got to strike a balance between doing that ourselves. And maybe that is something that we increase. Or, you know, we, we've got to show the beauty of the car and... I what agree, does the car yeah. look like as it's driving? That's, That's important. How everybody looks at cars, so you've got to see way, it on the road. And too. honestly, honestly, the way that that you can actually tell speed on camera is really well, there's one of two ways: you either do a POV mm-hmm. or you do a drift, because a right. drift inherently shows so much about speed. And I mean, obviously, Chris Harris is the master of that. But yeah, those absolutely. are the two ways to really show speed on camera. Because once you do a straight up drive by. It just reduces the visible sensation of speed. Now, some of our stuff you can actually really tell is really fast. Well, the reason it looks really fast is because it's <clears throat> very, very fast. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, there's, a, there's a line for us, and we certainly don't want to cross it into a dangerous place, but we want to show you guys cool-looking stuff. I just wanted to talk on that briefly because it came up this week, and I was kind of intrigued by the question because I'm thinking about drive-bys, but yeah. it's a fair, it's a fair uh, ponderance, honestly. Well, I'll be curious to hear what uh, everybody has to say here. You know, if, you, if we do put more point-of-view camera angles in our work, you know, maybe that changes our style a little bit, but we've got to strike a balance again. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that yeah, that yeah. question came up because you and I have talked about that. You know, wow, we know we were cooking and it just doesn't yeah. really look like it. But, you know, we can't really drive faster within our limits of, you know, time and the road. And we're yeah, not going to be doing seriously. drifting on public roads. And that's just yeah, seriously. not OK. So. It's, an, it's an interesting debate. I mean, but but that's the thing, though. The show, as we've always talked about, the show is a constantly changing animal. I mean, we're we're focused on quality, but we're not we're not operating in a vacuum. So we yeah. do listen to you guys and the things that you share. And we're always trying to tweak things. I mean, you I, I won't drive you nuts here, but I drive myself nuts with every piece we reduce. We, we, we release. I think of uh, 10, 15 things I wish I could change. But right. at some point, you got to put it out there. Right. So we're always looking to make it better. And so these are good things to talk about. Yeah, we should move on, though. Yeah, let's move to to, uh, to, uh, our, our car debates. Let's uh, talk about Wood and uh, talk directly to you. Thanks, Wood, for writing in. And again, he is 19-year-old freshman, just started college, and he's got this 2000 Mercedes E-Class. This thing mm-hmm. is just built. I remember I, I had a friend who had one of these, and I always admired how solid this car is. I feel yeah. like Mercedes is back to that now. They They kind of had a period where they drifted away from this very expensive, solid feeling, which I really liked. But... Wood's car is having a lot of work done. It's starting to nickel and dime him, and I get that his dad yeah. is saying, "Well, yeah. we need to, you know, sell it. He don't want to keep putting money into it." And at that point, yeah, a German car is going to start to cost you, and unless you're taking care of the maintenance, it's expensive. So, what Wood mm-hmm. is looking for is coming from an all German car family. Again, maybe they give out Mercedes Benzes for free, seeing how there's a factory in Mississippi just next door. I'm wondering, do they just give Mercedes Benzes out, or what do they do? I get the is it I get the sense that you and Wood would get along. I don't know. I get the sense that you guys would get along pretty well because he has a, this Heck little diatribe yeah. in his email talking about how much he likes the German door sound. And I'm sitting here going, really? Are we on doors again? And you're right. Anyway, I love so, yeah, that he you wrote in. Talk to that world. Wood, thank you. Anyway. You've confirmed it. Yes, the doors matter. It is the difference. I'm telling you. I love that you wrote in. There is a difference between the German cars and everyone else. 
they just haven't figured it out. It's it's the magic jelly. It's the secret sauce. I don't know what they've done, but yeah. <laughs> so I love that uh, your dad is suggesting leasing something new in the Golf GTI range or, excuse me, the TDI range, which you and I drove. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. That was coming Recently. back from the Rocky Mountain Track Day back yep. in, what yep, was yep. it, June? And I liked mm-hmm. that car a lot. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't think it was an unfun, stodgy, old, you know, oh, no, diesel means not fun, you know, screw well, I mean, it has golf. I, I didn't think that it, at all. It has all of the great stuff that you get interior-wise on the GTI or any of the other uh, of the Golfs. It's got the same great packaging, so you don't go wrong there. Mm-hmm. The difference, obviously, is that diesel engine up front. But, of course, you know, you're talking about a similar-feeling gearbox. It's, it's a VW that has a great German feel about it. The thing about the TDI that I was I was taken by is that if it was a commute car, it would be really in its sweet spot because that sure. power plant has got so much torque right away that it's great for all of the kind of takeoff and commute kind of driving that you do because, of course, at 4,000 RPMs, you're shifting right about the time that the, the GTI starts to get really fun. The TDI is now needing another gear. So, you know, but, but it's a different <laughs> yeah. kind of car. But if it was somebody that was saying, and I'm not sure what your situation is necessarily would with how you're going to drive your car, but... If you were saying mostly what you're going to do is bumper to bumper and all that, I would say, you know what, don't even get the GTI, get the TDI, you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to go drive this car hard, if you're going to ever want to autocross, you're ever going to want to track it, you want to actually take it back on a back road, then, yeah, it starts to be a GTI world. Obviously, that changes your price point. But, of course, yes, the GTI is definitely more wired for fun from a handling perspective. But that TDI is certainly not bad. I mean, you could always lean on the fact that Audi and Peugeot have one Lama with diesels. So you cannot tell me anymore that you don't take diesels racing and that they're not a yeah. winning formula for a race car. That is off the table with the way Audi is approaching Le Mans anymore. I mean, they're, sure, they're, approaching, that, it... they're pushing diesels more than just about anybody, and fabulous. I, I say bring it on. However, in this case, I, I understand. You know, autocross, you, you want something a little bit snappier, maybe turboed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. So... I've got a thought for you, though, and uh, yeah, what are your it's thoughts? It's the anti-German thought. It's Uh-oh. actually in an, in an entirely different direction, and the reason is was because of Wood's requirements here that I'm reading. It's got to be a manual. It's got to be mm-hmm. somewhat fun, of course. You yep. know, anything yep. more than the yeah, good for you. That's great. Early generation E class is more fun, <laughs> safe, reliable, fuel efficient, blah, and. I'm I'm going to try to nail it again. I, I don't try this all really? the time, but all I'm right. going to try right. to nail it. And I'm going to show Hyundai some love here because Whoa. you and I are with the auto show and we consistently go, oh, yeah, every time we walk through here, Hyundai, yeah, it's getting better yeah. and better. And I come back to the Hyundai Veloster and more specifically the Veloster Turbo. It's not a car we've True. driven, but we did drive the Veloster thinking, man, if only this had the turbo sold. And so I'm poking around Hyundai's website here, and it turns out they have something called the Turbo R-Spec, which is actually less money than the actual turbo. It's really just, I think, more of a marketing exercise with some, you know, fancy (laughs) trim bits and that kind of stuff. But it is the right price. It's far less than a GTI. It's less money than a TDI. And it's going to be boatloads of fun. I think would this is your car and for That's many reasons it's going to be reliable long term i mean best warranty in the business I'm i was going to say that Veloster as well, as well. Turbo. 
Were you? That's interesting. I mean, yeah, I, I wasn't. I wasn't thinking about it. I think that's a great option. I hadn't even thought of Hyundai, but I think that's a great option. The thing that I did think of when you brought it up, though, is it is that warranty. Mm-hmm. His yeah. parents are wanting to buy this car. They're wanting it to be reliable. They're wanting it to have great gas mileage. Let's be honest. Wood's parents are thinking about parental things when buying him a car. Of course. I get it. Right. I totally understand. Right. Of course they are. Now, obviously, his parents are kind of enthusiasts in their own life, but they're buying a car for their 19-year-old college-age son. Right. So, right. you know, they're, they're, I feel like you can almost strike a balance there, Wood, and you can, you can try, to, try to bridge the two gaps because it's not like your parents drive terrible cars. They drive interesting cars. Sure. So oh, hopefully yeah. you can lean toward that. But, but the thing is, that is interesting from a, from a parental standpoint is yes, great gas mileage, good reliability, and a fantastic warranty. And those are the places where I do think you've actually kind of nailed it. I uh, I didn't think of that car. I thought of a few others. All I right, thought of three I'm curious. Others. What did you uh, um, What did you lean towards? Well, I mean, he's he's talking TDI uh, and uh, GTI, which puts us in the the mid to high twenties price bracket. I'm not sure if that's the limit. I mean, obviously, all the cars in this family are. I mean, your parents are willing to pay good money for good cars, sure, and they like German cars. Yeah. So I don't know because obviously, in that mid twenties range, you don't have a whole lot of German options new. So if we want to get into German options outside of the Volkswagen group, we're into the thirty grand range. I don't know if right. that's an option, right? But if it is, if it is, I'm going to throw out a couple things that are that are different. Uh, before I go German, though, I will go with my, my non-German wild card, and that is drive the Mazda 3. Yeah. You're looking at hatches, uh-huh. drive the Mazda 3. You can now get the bigger engine, the 180-something horsepower, like 2.5-liter engine. Something yeah, like yeah. That. You can now get that with the stick shift. You didn't used to be able to, but now you can mm-hmm. drive that car because, honestly, I think that's going to be m- – it's going to be second to the GTI in fun, but it's going to be above the TDI in fun. And interior-wise and all that, I think you're going to be very pleased. Look at the Mazda 3. I think it's worth that. But that, of course, is a non-German option. So in German options, we're talking now thirty-five grand by the time you get these cars, it, maybe it thirty-eight. It gets expensive, admittedly. I yeah, love yeah, yeah. them, but it gets expensive. But since, since you've been talking hatches, I'm going to pass the CLA and go GLA. Huh. I can see that. I... I saw one on the road uh, last week, saw it in the wild, and I have to say it's a great-looking car. And I'm not a Mercedes guy. It's a great-looking car. A lot of the underpinnings are the CLA that's then been refined even further. And the CLA was actually – I mean, watch our review. The CLA was actually fun to drive, much more so than I expected for the base Mercedes. That GLA is probably as good or possibly better, and you get that hatch uh, form factor. So that's something to consider. Now, you can't get manual, so it may be out for that. But you like Mercedes, there's that. Then, here is my this is the car for you thing, except, unfortunately, I'm in German pricing. And that is, hey, Wood, look at the BMW 2 Series. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. 228i with a manual. Now, yes, that's going to be 35 to 38 grand probably by the time you really get it out the door. So you're probably talking 8 grand more than your loaded GTI. That's not nothing. That That is a serious amount of cash in difference. But... If that, that rings with your parents and it works for you, I think, look, that's going to be good gas mileage. It's a turbo four. It has a surprising amount of power. It's rear-wheel drive. It's stick shift. It's BMW. It's German. I think you would have a blast in that car, but it's also not too much car, and it checks all the other German boxes. That's I love driving. I like that recommendation a lot. I'm yeah. glad you said that car, and I kind of forgot about it after even after we drove it at track day. If you want to keep the all German family, I mean, <laughs> South Carolina's one state over, and I think when the you know you move there, they just hand you free BMWs. 
maybe it's the same with Mercedes. I don't know. <laughs> but no, that's a great car. That is the more expensive option. I think you nailed it from the keeping mm-hmm. it in the German family. You know, you round it out with a you know BMW. Yeah, I, I loved that. Well, car. and that's the thing. If once you I'm once you get that. out of the GTI, you really can't get enthusiast German for less than the low to mid thirties. Maybe the high thirties. That's where you are. You you don't yeah. have, you don't have another choice. I mean, because if you went A three, for example, you're going to spend the same amount of money. And as we learned, the base A three is really not that interesting. Now you can get better as you, you go higher, but the again, the S3, price goes higher. But yeah, it goes right on up. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think I think the, the two twenty eight is. Honestly, I think the 228i right now is kind of the enthusiast sleeper car in the BMW lineup. So I think definitely look at that, Wood. But we should move on to our friend uh, Joey in New Mexico that also wrote to us. And Joey has a very different dilemma because he is mostly commuting. And he has, hey, look, an old German car, an 07 VW Jetta. And uh, he's just starting to go, okay, hmm. Maybe I need a different car. It's a little more reliable, a little newer. Well, those 70,000 miles is not that bad, really, for a seven-year-old car. I think that's, that's not really that bad mileage, but, but okay. For a VW, right. that's just nothing. Yeah, he's looking at this and, and just trying to figure out how can I make this work for me. And he's got a, a fairly restrictive budget. He wants to be somewhere around the $200 a month uh, range, so we can't go nuts here. So he's asking questions about – he's got interesting questions. He's asking questions about Elise. Do I not not sorry not a Lotus Elise? Do I get into a car with a lease? <laughs> sorry, I should clarify. That's funny. Uh, yeah, so, Lotus so, Elise is for lease everyone. Oh wait, you want to yeah, exactly. lease what? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So he's 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 got a conversation about getting into a car via a lease. Is that a good idea? Because obviously he can keep his payments down that way. Uh, and he's asking questions about just commuter cars. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, very different than where we just were with Woods. So I'm curious uh, where you are on this, Paul. You know, what struck me is is uh, I think that uh, uh, Joey here is open to a lot of different things because he's not necessarily asking something that is going to be tracked or a fun car or any of that. Mm-hmm. His mm-hmm. primary yeah. requirement is commuting. It's got to be comfortable. And so my mind instantly went to a couple different options that really open things up and they're actually websites. One is Lease Trader and the other is Swap a Lease. And I think I might have mentioned this on another show that you we have. did. But we should get them as a sponsor because you keep sh- coming back to should. them, damn you. I looked up Lease Trader <laughs> here and I'm looking at, you know, Honda Civics and here's another Jetta, you know, you just essentially take over somebody's lease. They want out of it for whatever yeah. reason. They're relocating, they can't afford it anymore you know, whatever reason, and they're wanting to get out of those this lease, there is all kinds of options in the $200 per month price bracket. I mean, here's a Passat mm. for 145 bucks a month. Uh, brand new cars for low money. I mean, if you could increase your budget even slightly, you could almost get into BMW range. And at that point, mm. why not? Because you're leasing it. You don't have to worry about anything after that. It's You, you give the keys back when you're done. And that could be a sure, great way to sure. get into something. And again, spread your spread your wings. You know, broaden your horizons. Try other cars and see what you mm-hmm, like. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, at that point, you might want to buy something. You'll you'll have driven different cars. So, okay, yeah. If you want to get another Jetta and your heart is already set on that, and you want the diesel, great. I mean, again, coming back to Audi diesels, they're putting they're offering diesels yeah, in just yeah. about every one of their American uh, the models they offer in America. I kind of feel like that's a no-brainer there, but if you want to just mm-hmm. test drive other cars, I mean, you might be able to find a lease, 
you know, and there's only a year left on it. So that's a nice way to get sure. into something, and it just sure. it's non-committal. It might be a great way to and low risk in that regard. Yeah, yeah low I risk, just kind of dip a toe into the pool, that kind of thing, and yeah. um, you know, could get you into something just for the time being, and that way you can put the money, Joey, into your house, you know, some home improvement stuff, and then think about what's next. And then you've got mm-hmm. on here maybe a lease on the Nissan Leaf. And, Todd, you've got mm-hmm. uh, a friend who has gotten a Leaf. You've talked about them before yeah. as yeah, yeah. sort of being a real car, and they're actually – that is their car, is it not? Yeah, I mean, here's here's the thing. Uh, here's the thing about the Leaf. I, if it works for your life, great car. Hmm. But that's a niche. It, it's, it's an absolute niche because we are talking 90 to 100 miles worth of range. You're talking about a 52-mile round-trip commute. If you take take an extra offset of that in your day to d- do some errands and that kind of thing, you might very quickly be in a situation where you're like, "Huh, am I gonna get home?" Because mm-hmm. there isn't a a quick fix if you run out of uh, run out of distance on on the leaf, you're just done. Now I say that your life may be fine. You've got to take a serious look at what's the real mileage I put on a car per day. Plug it in every night, you'll be fine. But it isn't a car that you can then do anything else with. It is a good commuter car if that's what you need is a commuter car. I mean, the guy I know that, that got it, he came out of an absolute beater, and he needed to save money on gas, and he got this deal on a Leaf, and all he does in it is commute, and he commutes and runs errands, and I think his average is like 60, 70 miles that he puts on it a day, and he gets 90 out of the battery, so he's fine. So if that works for your life, great. But here's the thing about the Leaf. It is so niche that you now must have another car. If you need to do yeah, anything else ever, you need another car. So the Leaf made me think of this. What about a used Chevy Volt? Yeah, that's interesting. It's I, a I, real car. I think car. you're going to have to shop. I think you have to shop smart. And yes, okay, while the Leaf would do your whole commute on electricity only, the Volt will do a half your commute, maybe two-thirds of your commute on electric only. But when you then, whatever gas you burn off of it, your miles per gallon is actually going to calculate out to be great but if you need to drive 200 miles today you can mm-hmm. and and the and the the volt when you get in it honestly i mean on the the prices when they first were released in the mid 40s was was too much for that car now they've come down a lot there are some good uh lease deals on that and there's some good used deals on that car the people that we know that own them have been very reliable they feel like a real car they feel like a good car the only downside i would say to the volt versus the leaf is the leaf has a bench rear seat you can get five people in that car really the volt has a yeah you can it does have a just a bench rear seat whereas the volt has got battery pack in a t-shape down the middle so it splits the back seat so it's actually yeah, a four it's not seat car i mean it's it's but okay it's got, but it's but it's got a decent hatch and a, and a kind of a fun interior and honestly i don't have personally any downside about the Volt if that's the kind of commute car world you're shopping in. I think you need to take a look at that, Joey, for sure. The Leaf may work because the deal is just so good. That is the thing. $200 a month, and it may cost you, I mean, the guy I know that owns it, it's costing him $10 a month in electricity, so literally his commute is costing him 210 bucks a month, period. I mean, it's hard that to is argue a great at that deal. point. You know, it's hard that's to argue. That's really hard to argue uh, against that. So that. that is the place where it might work if it works for your lifestyle. But again, that is a car that's only going to do that one thing, whereas the Volt is going to be a lot more, it's just going to a lot more flexibility. Yeah. As you've been talking here, I just hopped on the BMW website because I was curious. The thought struck me about an i3, but it says they oh, don't no. lease them right no, here. No. 
they're forty two thousand as built. That's the problem. It's the that's it's the, the problem. same range as a leaf, and for the deal, get the leaf. I mean, I, I was just curious oh, yeah, yeah. as to how much and and if they were leasing them right now, but mm-hmm, uh, it mm-hmm. doesn't look like it's just saying up to eighty one miles per charge, and then you can get the range extender for a little bit more, I guess. But whatever. Yeah, the they're problem with really that is expensive. it's just probably. Yeah, it's, it's twice the amount of money that Joey's really got to work with. Uh, 46000 so That's the downside wow. there. Wow, yeah, almost forty-seven. Yeah, yeah. The one, once oh, you really get no. one of those cars, they are they are the opposite of cheap. So, yeah. Uh, but anyway, I hope that's a little bit helpful, Joey. I mean, yeah, you could go old Jetta TDI, but you know, I mean, you, you even say it here, you know about old German cars. You've got to keep putting money in them to keep them running. Mm-hmm. Uh, the leaf, the leaf is incredibly low maintenance because there's like four moving parts. So you've got that. It's not. I mean, look, it's not a sexy car, but it is a very usable car. And I would tell you this: leaf over Prius all day long. Oh yeah, anything over could, Prius. Walking over Prius. And if you could, then Volt over Leaf. That would be kind of my my hierarchy there. You know, uh, Joey, there's another question that uh, that you asked us about here about Consumer Reports data, and is that mm-hmm. a good measurement of a, you know, the the result of a used car in a few years, whether that's the, you know, likability factor or the the um, uh, repair or you know costs mm-hmm. you've got to put in or the um, the residual value, and then uh, also on various forums and customer reviews, the answer <laughs> here is you've got to read everything and you know take it with a big grain of salt. I mean, like a salt lick. Yeah. I mean, you've got to. You've got to read everything, and, and you said you've yeah done a lot of research. So do we. We read that stuff all the time. But again, just keep in mind it's it's some people's opinions. That's what an appraisal is for anything. It's an educated person's yeah. opinion, and that's what drives the market. And that's what customer reviews are. That's what uh, Consumer Reports is. All of that is valid, but you've got yeah. to really enjoy what you like. And so that's why I come back to, yeah, modern diesels are fantastic. So I could see you in mm-hmm. a new Volkswagen or an Audi diesel. But that's why I came back to the you know the lease thing just to try something yeah. else out because yeah. I'm I'm concerned about the leaf being uh, it's my only car and now we actually want to go on a road trip somewhere what and do we we're do stuck. yeah I, yeah um, totally well here's here's the thing I want to speak to that consumer reports and forum question real quick as well here's the thing that actually consumer reports is great for it's great for patterns that's where it's awesome you can look at okay this car was made for six years but yet the third year in, the engine rating is terrible for reliability. Sure. Okay, so you can know, for whatever reason, the 08 was bad. Avoid the 08. It's good to know that. I mean, I remember years ago, my wife and I were looking at uh, Volvo XC90s used. And oh, I didn't know what that. Was interesting about cons- yeah, what was interesting about Consumer Reports is that I was able to conclude that the, the original uh, V6 engine that they released with that car was a dog and was a reliability disaster. And that was the reason that all of the V6s at the time were selling for like four or five grand less than the five turbo five-cylinder or the V8 no because kidding. that engine was terrible for reliability. But I was able to discover that because you could just watch the pattern on Consumer Reports. It right. was terrible. Right. So that's the great thing about Consumer Reports is you can track those patterns and avoid certain years that could be more problematic than others. So there it's great. As far as forums are concerned, I will say this. I don't think in the history of the world anybody's ever gotten on the internet and said, I have an awesome car and everything works and I love everything about it. <laughs> and that's never the happened. End. You're welcome, world. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. That's never happened. Even if they give their car five stars, there are the little niggling things that they're going to complain about. So the thing I would say about forums is exactly the same thing. Look for patterns. 
Don't look for the opinion is God, but look for patterns. If everybody you read about on Edmonds, let's say, or Consumer Reports or whatever, if they're all complaining about the same issue, then you have to ask yourself, am I okay with that issue or should I avoid the car for that? Whatever that issue might be. So that's the thing to actually glean from those, but also you can't take people's commentary because everybody, it's just all, uh, my car is terrible for the following five reasons. And the people that are loving it didn't bother because they're out driving their car. (laughs) Well, thanks to the both of you for writing in. We really appreciate it. Wood, I think the non-German Hyundai Veloster Turbo might be the spicy meatball you're looking for. We'll just have to see. But in any case, <laughs> write back and let us know what you think and, and what you end up doing. Please join us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon if you can donate and help us out. That goes right back into production. We put yep. all that into and- quality, and we do all of our own editing and color correction. And, uh, yeah, we and work wherever hard. you're looking for us. Wherever you're looking for us, it's slash Everyday Driver. That yeah. is the place to find us. It's very yeah. easy. You can, of course, get our uh, our films, either one of them. It is everydaydriver.com slash films is the easiest place to find it on either Blu-ray or on Vimeo for streaming or even download if you'd like. Uh, on this podcast, by the way, guys, thank you so much for continuing to send in your car debates. We have a wonderful backlog of them. We're actually able to kind of pull different ones. If you sent one in, you're wondering if we got it. We got it. We've just got a <laughs> pile of them. Yeah. So thank you for yeah, sending those in. We've got great. a lot more car debates coming up. Uh, but also do do us a favor, and that is if you're listening and you have not gotten on either Stitcher or iTunes and rated this podcast please do so. I know it sounds ridiculous. You may not want to rate us. You may think, oh, that's stupid. But here's the thing. It actually helps. And it is helping to keep us in the top 10. And it's helping us grow because other people that wouldn't have seen us otherwise are finding the podcast. So that really makes a difference. Write a review. Give us a star rating. Uh, Please do that because it helps us out. Stack of Blu-rays, mid-engines of mountains sitting here waiting to ship out. (laughs) And uh, if you get Christmas money, I love that idea. It's a great idea. I mean, it's a great thing to start the new year off right, right? Yeah, there you go. There you go. Watch some Mid-Ends of the Mountains. Why not? We're getting some great response to to that. So, yeah, Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah, uh, and give us reviews on that. If you've seen it it. on uh, Vimeo or on Amazon, hey, write us a review there, too. We'd love to hear your thoughts, and uh, we'd like others to be reading it. So thank you for doing that as well. Well, you will uh, listen to us next week. In the meantime, hope your week is great. Thanks for listening. Merry Christmas, everybody.